0: My name is Renee, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, The scripture this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter one, verses 21 to 28. Then Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum and he immediately started teaching on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. The people were awestruck by his teaching because he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority, which was quite unlike the religious scholars. Suddenly, during the meeting, a demon-possessed man screamed out, "'Hey, leave us alone. Jesus the victorious, I know who you are. You're God's holy one, and you have come to destroy us.' Jesus rebuked him, saying, "'Silence, you are bound. Come out of him.' The man's body shook violently in spasms, and the demon hurled him to the floor until it finally came out of him with a deafening shriek. The crowd was awestruck and kept saying among themselves, "'What is this new teaching that comes with such authority?' With merely a word, he commands demons to come out, and they obey him.' So the reports about Jesus spread like wildfire throughout every community in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to pretend like I didn't already say
1: this. So Pastor Melinda <laughs> came to me last week and had a request for a song. Um, this, that's not it. So, um, and it's it's a U2 song. So, um, if you want to sing along, you're welcome to if you know it. But otherwise, I encourage you to sit and listen to the lyrics and follow the lyrics on the screen. Um, the words are um, really meaningful and, and really resonant with um, what Pastor Blundheim will be talking about today about our beliefs and how, we're cha- how our beliefs kind of change through time about different things. So. Um,
2: Thank you. What do you think when you hear the scripture from Mark this morning about demons? What do you think about demons? Scary. Sure, it's scary. Who? Fr- Freddy? Frank Freddy? Frank Peretti. Oh gosh, yes, that brought back a memory. Anybody read Frank Peretti? Oh, don't. Don't. <laughs> it's some Christian author who, anyway. I better stop, I'll get in trouble.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sue says we probably would call it now mental illness. What else? Yes. They know, the power of Jesus. they know the power of Jesus. Thank you for saying that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Anyone else? Yes. To me it feels so extreme and it's almost a caricature. So any kernel of truth gets lost. Ooh. Yeah. Good point. Kelly says it's so extreme, it's almost this caricature that if there is any truth, it kind of gets lost in the, the weirdness of it. The, Yes? I do think that we would call a lot of what maybe this passage is today, mental illness, but I think that demons are real. Yeah, yeah. Vicki says that this passage is probably mental illness, but she does believe that demons are real. I am with you, Vicki. I believe that as well. Anyone else? Did we just shut down the room? <laughs> yes. What, either one. I just think it's
1: interesting that you are so, and naturally so, skeptical of
2: these beings. Yeah. Either angels or demons. Yeah. Right, this out all the, the crazy stuff in right, pray. right, yes. Yeah, I I feel that too, I do too. Um, We've been talking about uh, Second Temple Judaism, and it's about that time frame around five to seven hundred years before Jesus arrived on the scene, and the different scriptures and ways that God was speaking and working in the world. That just because we don't have it in our canon, that there was uh, there was works being passed around that we don't have easy access to. So let me just say this, ancient Israelites, they did believe in evil spirits. They believed that there was something malevolent among them that was unholy and even scary. But we don't see a lot in the Hebrew Bible about demons that could possess people, like take over their bodies and act the way that these demons do in the Gospels. We don't see that. Hardly at all in the Hebrew Bible. We see like when King Saul, the stories of King Saul, when the the, the the scriptures describe that an evil spirit would come upon him and he'd want to kill David. Do y'all remember those passages? That's kind of how they believe that uh, evil and good happen. that good would come upon you and you would do good things or evil would come upon you and you'd do bad things. There's always somebody else at fault beside the person too. I don't know if you caught that, but... In Second Temple Judaism, however, this idea of being possessed by demons became prevalent. But where did they come from? So, over time, the people developed this idea that demons come from the sons of God impregnating the daughters of humans found in Genesis 6. This is the story of the Nephilim. I'm going to read it just briefly. It's only six verses. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of human and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men, renowned. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And then we get Noah. Noah, God decides I'm going to wipe all of you out. I've had enough. So second tuple Judaism people would believe that demons came from these unions of sons of God with with, uh, female humans. And they were called the Nephilim. Now, it's also interesting that in some of these apocryphal books that we have, that we don't really have a lot of, or I didn't, I didn't grow up learning these apocryphal, apocryphal books. Uh, some of you may have, but some of like the Jubilees and the Book of the Watchers and Baruch, those all refer to the Nephilim in them as being these demons, as being those are the people that come and torment and enter our bodies and do all these Really crazy wild things. For them this world, that world, was a world where demons existed and had power and they had no power over them. They believed they could be possessed by demons and according to the Gospel writers Jesus believed that too. Modern scholars believe that these demon possessions that Jesus exercises is probably a physical or mental health ailment. I can go along with that. That's okay. I will say just from personal experience, and I really don't want to get into it because it's not really necessary to the thing why I say that I do believe that there's something at least malevolent out there. Is I have about three encounters that I've had in my lifetime that are just, and if you've known me for longer than 10 minutes, you know I forget everything. I don't remember anything at all. But these three encounters are things that I can tell you where I was, what I was doing, what I was wearing, and they're all years and years and years ago. They left a mark. So I do think there's something out there. I don't think it has power over us, but I think there's something to it. But let's go back to what Jesus thought about it because that's what really matters. So. In the stories that we read of Jesus casting demons out of people there's a couple of things that we need to notice about it. First, the person who has the demon who needs exorcism is kind of irrelevant to the story because the gospel writers don't tell us the story of the person that has the problem. And the demons themselves secondly are not really relevant because we don't get the demons names either. So what's the point? If the person being terrorized by a demon is not the, ma- is not the point, and the demon is not the point, then what is the point? In Mark 1, the demons recognize Jesus' authority. They know who he is. A demon-possessed man screamed out, Hey, leave us alone, Jesus the victorious. I know who you are. You're God's holy one, and you have come to destroy us. Other translations is, you are the Son of God. God's Holy One or Son of God, that's a messianic title. And that's important because Mark, remember, is the first gospel to be written. And Mark wasn't written until about 40 years after Jesus died. So Mark kind of lays down the, the, the framework, particularly for Matthew and Luke, on how the story of demons And possession of humans gets told. Mark begins his gospel with, this is the beginning of the wonderful news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you are the writer of the gospel and you want to convince people that this guy that I'm writing about really is who he says he is and who I'm telling you who he is through my writing, this is what you do. You have the demons say it for you. You have the opening say it for you. You say it over and over and over again because you have a point to make to the hearer, to the reader of these words generations on down the line. Jesus really was the Son of God. Jesus really was the Messiah. This is intentional language and Matthew and Luke follow suit. They do the same things. Now, John is a whole other topic for another day. He's weird. (laughs) But Mark is intentional with this language, and he says even the demons know this. Even the demons recognized his divinity. Even the demons recognized this is someone I'm not going to be trifling with. Now, the people around Jesus, they haven't gotten it yet. They don't know what he's talking about in Mark 1. What are you talking about? This is weird. This is too far out there. But the demons got it. The demon knew. The demon knew. Now, this is Jesus' first public miracle. Now, think about that one for just one second. We always think about the wedding in Cana, that was a little bit more private. But Mark was written first. This is the first public miracle of Jesus. The Roman centurion is the last person in the gospel of Mark to make a public confession. This demon makes a public confession at the very beginning of Mark. And the very last person to make a public confession about Jesus was a Roman centurion. As he saw Jesus dying on the cross, the centurion says, Truly this was the Son of God. These two Christological statements about Jesus, one by the demon at the beginning of the Gospel and another by the centurion at the end form a frame around the Gospel. Neither the demon nor Roman centurion, neither one of them are followers of Jesus, but they are the first and last to confess Jesus in public. The demon in this story and all the other demons heretofore past that in all these stories of demonic oppression in the Gospels, they not only recognize Jesus, they obey. There is no tug of war. There's no battling out like we see in the movie The Exorcist or some of those other things. There's no battle, it's yeah, out, d- done. <laughs> Demons did not obey people. When you had a demon, whatever that was, You suffered. And that was it. So demons were also a way to explain the human condition. Let's think of it this way. In the book of Jubilees, which was written around 100 to 200 years before Jesus, it explains the stories of demons and that they were a way, they were the vehicle that was used to to explain the dark side of life to explain evil. This is how we have evil. God did not create evil, Jubilee tells us, but God tolerates it. And in the Book of Jubilees and the Book of Watchers and even in the Dead Sea Scrolls they also tell us of a belief in a coming Messiah who will destroy all evil. Now in First Temple Judaism, in Solomon's Temple time and even before that, an idea of a Messiah coming to save them was not the thing. That was not their focus. The idea of a Messiah coming to save them did not come until Second Temple Judaism. So when I say that the world that Jesus lived in was not the world that you and I know in the Hebrew Bible, that's what I mean. One of the ways that I mean that. This was different. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to destroy evil. They were looking for someone who was going to overthrow systems of of power and privilege and uproot it all. This is why they were so disappointed when it didn't happen. So when that demon comes out, when Jesus says what he says, it's like, oh, is this the guy we've been waiting on? Because demons have never done this for us. But it did for him. And then as they continue on down the line with all the others, every time that demon came out, those demons came out, those demons came out. This was another way for Mark and the Gospel writers to say, the Messiah is here, right here, right now. What we've waited for, what we've prayed for, what we need is here, right now. Now. I honestly don't know if the demons that the gospel speak of are of or are, are mental and physical illnesses. It's, it's possible and probably true. So I really don't know. I don't know for sure. But for just one second, I want to talk about something a little bit more personal for all of us. How many of you have heard the phrase, "I'm wrestling with a demon"? You've got a cousin or a friend or a spouse or a somebody wrestling with a demon. What does that mean to you? What do you mean when you say that? If someone were to say that to you, what do you think they mean? It means
1: just struggling with
2: something. Yes, just struggling with something. What are some of the things, yes? It's usually something that you know is bad for you or bad in general. Yes. Oh, that's good. Dan says it's usually something that we know we shouldn't be doing or don't want to be doing, but we can't like help ourselves, kind of the thing. Maybe like addiction. Anyone else wrestling with a demon? Yes. I'm trying to think of it more in terms of like I'm not holding responsibility for my desire to indulge in that sense of bad thing, but like it's a demon that's making me do it kind of thing. Oh, that's good. So, Renee says it could be they're not owning responsibility for that thing. The demon's making me do it, kind of a sideways view. Anyone else? Yes, I'm sorry. So there. I can't get it. It's not like I'm blaming something else, but right. it seems stronger than anything else. Yes, it can feel stronger than anything else when it's an addiction or a mental health struggle. Anyone else? I struggle with people who say that we can be whole. And I'm gonna share with you why. (laughs) You're certainly more than welcome to disagree with me. Tell me afterwards. That's why I asked Libby to sing the song that she sang this morning. Because I'm 51 years old and I still have broken pieces in me that have never gotten healed yet. There's still not wholeness and pieces of myself. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that we can't function and be good people and do good things and have a good life, but sometimes we just have pieces inside us that just don't get, they got broken and we spend a lifetime trying to, well, how do I get that fixed? Where do I get that repaired? I just need to know that you were tracking with me when I say that, right? Okay. I think wholeness is the goal and I think that that's something we should strive for in whatever avenue we feel led to go down. That may look different from you than to me. But if that's where you feel like, I'm going to get some wholeness from this, I'm not judging you. Maybe we do get some wholeness in broken places at times. But what about when we don't? What about the people who die and they never experienced a complete wholeness in an area of their life that felt broken? Am I the only one in the room that knows those people? Yeah. What do we do with that? When we say there is a God who will heal all those broken and dark, hard places... And I believe that, I do believe that. But I also believe that we have a tendency, let me, let me take the we out of here. <laughs> let me say, I have a tendency to wanna to help God along. <laughs> I have some thoughts on how those broken places could be fixed. I have some ideas. And I think when we do that, when we grasp onto that, to, This is what I think will fix it, God. We're just inviting more disaster into our lives a lot of times, right? Because I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to try not to cry, I've been emotional over this sermon all week long, Terry, can tell you, and I have no idea why. Trying to repair the broken part, the broken pieces of us, Well, the whole cheesecake doesn't work. And I wanna tell you something, eat the stupid cheesecake. I'm not saying don't. (laughs) But what I am saying, what I am saying is that we'll not fix the broken pieces inside of us. Neither will alcohol, neither will drugs, Neither will a credit card. We won't find it in there. We're looking for healing in broken places in our lives, but we want to help God, and we think this will do it. And it doesn't. And we still haven't found what we were looking for. Still. Still. Healing the demons inside us that we wrestle with. We can get healing from that, but it never negates that something bad happened. I have a scar across my thigh right here from where I was in the fourth grade, was on top of a 10-speed bike on the top of a hill in my best friend's yard. I was short then for sure, still short, don't know why I was on a 10-speed bike, I don't know how to ride a 10-speed bike, didn't know know then, don't know now, but I was on top of a 10-speed bike and I go barreling down the hill and I'm screaming and Stephanie's behind me, she just so happened to have a broomstick in her hand, I don't know why. These things make no sense as adults. As kids, it made all sense in the world. I turn around, she's running behind me and she's like, I'm gonna put the, the broom in the spoke of the bike and you'll stop. And I'm not that smart. I'm just not, let's just be honest. But I thought then, that can't be right. Surely that's not a good idea. I outran her anyway on the bike. Slid into a shrubbery, some shrubbery and on the other side of the shrubbery was barbed wire. <laughs> 20 stitches across my leg. I have a really angry, thick scar across my thigh to this day. Man, some things hurt so bad that scar stays forever. Sometimes that can be good. It's a reminder, hey, don't do that again. That's why you're not ever gonna see me on a bicycle. But sometimes it's a reminder of how frail we are and how desperately we need Jesus. Because we don't get to do this by ourselves. We think we can. We think we can do this all by ourselves. We think all of these things will heal those broken places inside of us. And they never deliver on their promise. They never do. feels good in the moment. But it never works long term. the the words to the U2 song, and I'm not a U2 fan, and for those of you that are U2 people, I'm sorry, don't throw anything at me. Was not my vibe in the 80s. But I appreciate this song. Because he says, I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, but I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The ache of that, of thinking that that would fix me, that 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 would be the end thing. I'll just know my Bible. I'll just be at church. I'll just give every week. I will serve. I will do all of these things. And on the other side of that will be this, this promise of wholeness in that broken, specific broken piece in my life. I have had moments of healing and I have long stretches of healing in this particular broken piece in my life. But it's not whole. Not yet. And I'm asking you with me is that okay? My 40-year-old self would have said, absolutely not. That's not okay. Now I don't think that. Yes. That is really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. That is absolutely critical. You put words that my brain could not say. Healing takes time. And sometimes we spend the rest of our lives working on that healing, on that maybe one broken thing inside of us. And that's okay. We do the work, we go to counseling, we do the things that we need to do. In Isaiah 61, the, Lord's God, the Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. It is the part of Isaiah that Jesus recites in Matthew. I am the one to, that has been sent to mend, to bind the brokenhearted. I don't know how to sew. But I would imagine that to sew something together that's been broken, a little bit of an art to it maybe, takes time, some good thread, so it doesn't open back up again. Takes a little bit of skill, a little bit of pain. Those 20 stitches hurt like hell, you can best believe. We give it the time that it needs. And that's where we find what we're looking for is the presence of God. Will you stand with me? We're going to recite an affirmation of faith this morning together. Will you say this with me this morning? God is with us in our suffering, loving, walking, comforting us. I do not believe God is the cause or author of such suffering. I do not believe God allows bad things to happen. I want to stop right there. Let's say it one more time with feeling, okay? I do not believe God allows bad things to happen. I can't imagine why God would allow us to suffer. I believe in a God who is always working for good. A God who is somehow able to take horrible, rotten things and create something out of the rubble. God came into the world amidst violence, oppression, and despair and was able to bring life from that darkness. And I believe that God is with each of us in our challenges and our suffering, comforting us and consoling us and trying to bring good out of that which was so bad. And that is what I think makes God God.